Hi. I got a tape I want to play. So, Ian, uh, we're opening a little bit differently this time, once again, because, once again, we are going to listen to a, a record, an LP to be specific. You destroyed my Spotify suggestions last time. What are you doing now? <laughs> oh, I think I'm going to do nothing but improve your Spotify suggestions. And, and how can us having listened to Kansas's Point of No Return nonstop for a week do anything but improve your Spotify suggestions? Okay, I'll admit, now I've got a copy of it hanging on my wall. But Right, because last time I did show you the cover art as, we, as I introduced you to what record we were going to listen to. And then what happened uh, a few weeks after the episode uh, dropped? <laughs> my uncle sent me the copy of the, of the actual record. Yes. So it, I've got the I've got the one that you actually listened to, and I've hung it up in a place of honor because I really enjoyed that episode. That means I'm looking forward to this, but I also know other things of your music library, and I'm terrified simultaneously. <laughs> so I'm intrigued. I was so uh, was so pleased when your uncle uh, sent that because yeah, it was his copy. It was my brother Jim's copy of Point of No Return that I listened to so much back when I was in sixth grade and didn't get to buy many of my own records. But we're going to listen to a different record this time. Okay. We're going to listen to an LP that came out when I was in college, and I listened to this a lot. Ooh. And because this is the way that one was introduced to records, I need to show you the cover art, but now I'm handing Ian a copy of the LP. This is the copy of the LP that I bought back in the 80s. And it is the LP, Stop Making Sense, live concert album from Talking Heads. The Talking Heads, and it is, this is messing with me because it is designed to look like it is already partially slid off of the, the record, what with its you know, white framing on the right side with its giant round circle. And it's an album by a group called The Talking Heads that literally crops the head off the guy. (laughs) So I am thinking, looking at this, that this is clever because it looks a little generic. It's a guy in a suit, and it looks literally so much like a record, it looks like a record in action. But I'm also realizing that it's clever because it's being able to mimic things just right with a... Is that how how close it's, is that to shape? Is that exact? Yeah, that's the exact diameter. Absolutely, so that's a, that's yeah. a perfect that's a perfect replica circle, and putting their name right next to the cropped head of the guy. This looks like they're they know what they're doing, and that is so that, um, that that leads to promise. So it's not the obvious. This is a painting full of symbolism that we got on the cover of Point of No Return. But there's more going on in that album cover than uh, than appears at first glance. Yeah. And, yeah, this was a... I was already a big fan of Talking Heads. Oh, and I have to be that guy. There's no definite article. It's just Talking Heads. Okay. And I was a big fan of theirs, and then this came out. And this is actually connected to a concert movie. Oh, 
But I listened to this album hundreds of times before I ever got a chance to see any of the movie. So I want to start by taking this as an album. Okay, so we're going to kind of recreate your journey of it. I think so. And that means that we're going to listen to the album, and then I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say about it. Okay. And welcome back, everyone, to the IWMP podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. And uh, it's been about a week since we recorded that opening. Yep. So we've had some time to listen to uh, the album that we'll be talking about a few times and to think about it. To stop making sense until it kind of started to make sense, and that was <laughs> terrifying. So this is definitely another album that was very important to me. I got that feeling, actually. <laughs> it had that kind of like tone where I'm like, okay, I get this. The first album that we talked about here on the podcast was uh, The Point of No Return, K-N-O-W, by Kansas. And that was like the perfect album for me when I was in sixth grade and thought I was so deep. <laughs> That's the album I needed then. This was the album I needed when I was in college. And okay. was realizing you know, there are things I need to figure out about the world. I'm not suggesting that I did then or that I still have uh, uh, by any means, but I was a different person and coming to music from a very different way. And this was the right album for me at the right time back in 1984. Yeah, this is this one feels a lot more conceptual than Point of No Return. Point of No Return had a through line, but this one feels like. There was something about this that made me actually pull up and re-listen to part of the Hamilton soundtrack on Spotify, because it had a similar narrative flow from song to song. I find that really interesting, because I always figure that, well, point, we keep, we're going to compare it to Point of No Return a lot, I'm sure. The Point of No Return seemed to have a, a, some narrative consistency to it. And I have a narrative consistency with which I approach Stop Making Sense. But I always feel in the back of my mind that I'm forcing that, that I am imposing this structure upon this album, and it doesn't really belong. Well, this album does seem like, okay, whatever you think about me, I'm not going to completely agree. It has that kind of like, I am, I am contrarian for the point of making us both think about this kind of mood. And just to clarify for our listeners what it is we're talking about, we're talking about the album Stop Making Sense, which is thought of in some ways as a soundtrack album for the concert documentary movie, Stop Making Sense, directed by Jonathan Demme, featuring Talking Heads. And so this album, it was released on a single LP. It has nine songs. And that track order is impossible to find online. Right. If you go online now, if you go to a, a music streaming service, what you will find is the expanded special edition, which has all of the tracks used in the movie, as far as I know, in probably the order in which they were used in the movie. And that's great. That's important. But I wanted to make sure I introduced Ian to the album that I knew back in 1984, when it was constrained by how much music could you fit on an LP, and what made sense as a track order for an album that was distinct from the movie. So we listened to what was the original list and order of tracks from the original uh, album. And for any of you who use streaming music platforms, specifically 
Spotify, which is the same one I use, I'll actually be including a link to the playlist I made that pulls the songs out of that extended album and puts them into the original vinyl order, because that's what I was listening to for every time I was uh, exploring this. Some of the cuts were a little different than when, uh, than from what I understand is on here, because they've got this little bit of an extended version for that ver- that album, but it's in the order in which it is on the vinyl record. So it is very close. Yeah. yeah, I'll be able I'll be able to make sure you have a link to that. So if you use Spotify, you can use this playlist I built and follow along with us. And I use Apple Music. So if I can, I'll include a link to an Apple Music playlist. I don't know if that's as easy as it is on Spotify. We've got both people covered, though. But if I can do it, I'll include that in the uh, the show notes as well. Thinking Spotify, just to set a baseline, though, I weirdly appreciate that when I was listening to this album and I let any one of the songs individually run out, it would immediately default to pulling like the anime theme songs I have in my favorites list, (laughs) which just tells you something about like the mode this sets algorithmic determinism to. It's like, there's something about this that's just like, this is an anime, right? It's got that vibe. We're going to keep going with this. And I can't fault the machines for thinking that. Because I got that same feeling at times about this entire track listing. There's something very animated narrative about it in that sense. There's something that type of heightened. And it's like, have you seen David Byrne? Have you seen Tina Weymouth? These are anime characters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know most of the songs on this except for one. Yeah. I knew pretty well days go, uh, once in a lifetime, once in a lifetime, you know, letting the days go by. I, I keep on mistaking the name. And that's because when I was taking my prereq courses at community college, there was a little student lounge area that everyone would hang out in. It's the place where you would sit down, wind up playing three games of Magic the Gathering, and then realize you came in here to do homework and try to finish that homework you were doing. But they had a giant projector always running, and it just ran a very long playlist of music videos. And, like, it was 50% anime music videos. But for some reason, like, once an hour on its loop was the studio version of once in a lifetime's music video. Oh, so the the official music video for the this? The official music video. So you were introduced to that song through its music video. Yes. That's an interesting experience. I was introduced I, to that. It, there's something about walking into a place and you're like, "Okay, it'll be like more Hatsune Miku." What is he doing? <laughs> what is this song? Oh good, there's free food. And you kind of just move into a zone because you're here between classes and you're making it through. But I kind of got that, like, this is a, this album and therefore this band is something I heard a little bit when I was starting college stuff. So I get that, like, when your time frame was. And that is the only song I knew. But the version on this is the live performance, which was very different. And we'll yeah. get into that. So so you could tell from that music video and also from from that song the particular aesthetic and kind of philosophical direction, I think, that Talking Heads and their music tended to have. Oh, yeah. It's got a, it's a, 
it's that like contemplative about the bigger picture of life, but with that 3 a.m. kind of combination of confusion and clarity. So I have I've seen that music video and I've seen a lot of the, the Talking Heads music videos. And I've heard the studio versions of all their songs. But this particular album, this concert LP, I listened to literally hundreds and hundreds of times. I would play it. There were a few months there where I would play it five times a day while I was studying or resting from studying, and it just seeped into me. So I came up with a lot of weird theories and responses to this album that may or may not make any sense, but they're part of how I responded to it and part of how I approach music in many ways. Oh, and some of it comes down to imposing that kind of narrative structure across the album, which may or may not exist. I don't even think this is the order in which these songs were, were in the movie, if I uh, recall correctly. I definitely kind of feel like I tried to impose a narrative order to this as well, but it kept on not clicking. So instead, it wound up more like a series of vignettes. I was able to impose narrative order or a narrative point to each song, but the through lines between them kind of fell apart. Well, that's an interesting thought. Now that you describe it that way, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. They are scenes within an overarching narrative structure or setting, but they're independent scenes. The, the talking head uh, shared audiophonic universe. <laughs> so, you know, an album like this, I think the best way to approach it is to start talking about the songs. Absolutely. So this leads off. First track on this album is Psycho Killer. Why is this song so catchy? <laughs> Why is this song full of loose acoustic guitar? Like, actually not loose, but very crisp acoustic guitar and loose vocals with interspersed French. So dang catchy. It, it is in its many ways. I mean, from the title on down through a lot of the lyrics, it is a an aggressive and a creepy way to start this live concert album. Oh, yeah. And yet, you're right, it's catchy. It's got that little bit of a jangly sound. It's kind of loose, and yet it's well-constructed. It really pulls you in, and yet it's like, why are, this is horrible, why are my toes tapping to it? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm there walking around the floor at work going, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> Better that, run away. Yeah, it's like, why, why? <laughs> Like, and that's the thing. It's this creepy song, but it doesn't have that lingering dread element of creepy. Like, I never felt my heart rate quicken at this song. I felt it slow, and that scared me more. Yeah, it's just kind of kind of um, matter of fact about it. Yeah, it's like psycho killer. Who's to say uh, mm, this? This you know, you might get killed kind of mode. And there's it's so blasé about it. And that freaks you out more. It doesn't quite fit into this world or narrative structure that I've built in my mind for the album as much as the rest of it does. So I tend to think of it as a prologue. It's readying you for the story to come. Yeah. And you mentioned it, it, it has big chunks in French. When the, um, the liner notes, too, we can talk about the liner notes oh, to goodness. this uh, LP later, but the liner notes in the, the, uh, the sleeve do not have the lyrics. So when I listened to this all those times, I didn't have the lyrics to it. And I, of course, was trying to figure out the lyrics. I recognized some of those 
lines from this as French. Some of them I didn't realize were French, and there's a lot of Mondegreens in my head for these songs. Oh, I <laughs> especially can... that one. Oh, do do you have any of them? I I studied a bit of French, and I'm this song has actually gotten me annoyed at myself that I didn't keep up with my studies in a weird way. I might go back to them thanks to this, but. I kind of want to know if you remember any of the things you misheard. You know, I'm not sure that I do. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I, I interpreted some of the French as someone in English saying, so why not? That's not very interesting, but there's a lot of little things where I was just, des- my brain desperately trying to uh, recognize language in there, where you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't simple enough French for me to recognize. Yeah, that makes sense. But in in tone, in lyrics, and everything, that song always strikes me as the prologue. This is there's something to come. This is just kind of getting you ready for it. There's uh, this actually started something I noticed on the entire first side of the album. All the side A songs have a repetition element to it, something that reminded me of record skipping, because there's always that like. Like he's got that little repeated syllabic moment in each of these in some way. And it kind of like tricks you into wondering. It makes the entire thing feel unstable. I think I know what you mean. There's something about the the the, the way rhythm is used in the songs and the way vocals are used as a layer of that rhythm. It's almost hypnotic in a way that most pop lyrics aren't or most uh, New Wave lyrics, aren't quite that almost intentionally seemingly hypnotic. And it really does put you in a different mode of thought when you listen to this, or at least when you listen to it five times a day. <laughs> <laughs> the next song, I think, is Swamp, right? Yeah, the second song on, uh, on side one is Swamp. Okay. That's where you really start to get into it for me. I need to dice every single individual line of Swamp. <laughs> and make a soundboard because this is the new vocals for every goblin I will ever run in D&D from this point forward. There's something about this that is that bit of like he's got that really creepy effect he's doing on his vocals and there's these this little bit of like it's almost it's not word salad it's like sentence salad the sentences don't <laughs> feel connected but there's something about this like feeling of like wheeling and dealing and pessimism but also just kind of like ah so well in the midst of it where i'm like this is exactly what i think of goblin character sounding like it also kind of feels like a song being sung about oh yep world ended so by the way i'm the devil it's got that kind (laughs) of like tone to it and i'm like what is this? Well, a couple of things about that. You mentioned the word salad aspect. And there are, are definite, there's definitely a lot of that in Talking Heads songs. There are some songs on this album that are even more dramatic examples of that. Mm-hmm. But we talked about the liner notes. The liner notes for this album, there's a lot of f- pictures from the, uh, the concert movie on stills. And all these weird little observations or, or phrases or aphorisms. And one of them is... Singing is a trick to get people to listen to music for longer than they would ordinarily. I think that David Byrne and Talking Heads, they take that to heart when it comes to some of their lyrics. 
I'm going to put lyrics in here so you'll try to figure them out. And the harder they are to figure out, the more intently you're going to listen to this music. And that's my real goal. I guess. But I think of Swamp. Um, there are baby boomers who are going to think this is sacrilegious. But I think of Swamp as my generation's sympathy for the devil. Okay. I think it is presenting this demonic, satanic character as a very tangible, recognizable figure in the world. Yeah. It, describing this character with bones in his pocket and discussing with this kind of like, oh, well, no dust, no rocks, the whole thing is over kind of gives this like a guy at the end of the show kind of feel <laughs> and there is definitely a uh, there's definitely things later that gave me like biblical reference notes right so th so then when i re-listened to it it's like oh this guy isn't just goblin this guy is full-on demon yeah this guy thing. is maybe he is the devil i would say he is a devil mm -hmm. and and coming to this now having read many, many issues of Hellblazer with John Constantine and the world that he inhabits in comic books, I really do, it just reinforces the idea of this character in Swamp being a devil or the devil, but um, a very kind of grubby street dealer, god of the underworld in the modern day sort of devil. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. The god of wishes you wish you hadn't made kind of devil. This is a, a yeah, yes, I will go to meet him at the donut shop. Right. We'll sit down over coffee. It's then, not good coffee, but we sit down over coffee kind of dealings. Right. And there's this gritty, grimy feel to the music and to the, the vocals, and uh, not to mention the lyrics, that it's not the I'm the Lord of the Underworld sitting with my velvet robes on a throne. It's a I'm trying to make it in this world and hustling. And there's something about Swamp that feels to me as if it's like the ruler of this world laying down the rules. Like, this is how things work around here. Whether you're talking about telling fortunes or splitting atoms, rules are rules. Here they are. Deal with it. The reference to the splitting atoms, the, the kind of like negatory statements, the no dust and no rocks and, and some of those ones, it felt very like the end is already going through. Kind of like if we if we follow a narrative across the songs, you've got a force that could be dangerous, this psycho killer. And then you've got like the devil standing there saying, well, it's already starting to collapse, mm -hmm. which kind of is like it, it, it's it's in media res at the finale in that sense. <laughs> and then everything else is like rebuilding or flashback. Oh, because I see all of the other songs in this album or almost all the other songs in this album as examples of their stories of people trying to survive and build lives in the world that's defined, whose rules are defined by this devilish character in Swamp. Okay. And the different responses to the kind of world he's saying that we live in, and whether or not they believe him. Good point. That makes some sense. That kind of pulls it together for me in a way that you know, may or may not... Be legit. It may have had, it may be nowhere near anything any of the songwriters were thinking about, but it pulls itself together in that way for me. And right after Swamp comes the first of these responses to Swamp, as I think of them, and that is Slippery People. This is the one I, I okay, while, while Psycho Killer got stuck in my head sometimes, 
Slippery People was the one that got stuck the deepest. Oh. There was something just about the call and response nature between our main singer and this very gospel choir effect that just like got in my head. And that's something that sets apart a lot of the arrangements on this concert LP and the fact that they were really making use of the fact that these were arrangements made for a live tour with a gospel backup choir that um, that allowed them to do those interesting things with the songs. And that did make it catchy. It made it really catchy. And this one is full of some really interesting like comments in its call and response and references. Because the entire chorus of this song being this call and response is all like a review and talking about this other figure. He's all right. Questioning that and calling back and forth. But there's also a whole lot of like turn like a wheel and then turn like a wheel inside a wheel, which I started looking up and I just fell down a list of like descriptions of angels in the Old Testament (laughs) because they're pulling that stuff in here while like questioning if someone's okay. And I'm like, whoa, okay, that just made a sharp turn into Evangelion territory and I'm okay with this. (laughs) Now, to me, this song, this first response to Swamp, is a a Buddhist and Near Eastern spirituality response to Swamp. I'm going to pause you right there and say, absolutely, you've listened to this a lot. Your takes are way deeper than I was even ready for. Please <laughs> continue. Responding to the Wheel of Karma. Okay. With pure love. Love from the bottom to the top. Yeah. And it's, it's recognizing the position of, of the Lord in this, the, the, the God, the Godhead. And yet, it's all about how you respond. Hmm. You know, respond with love. He's all right. And it's like, pay it, stake, yes, everything that guy said in Swamp might be true. But stay calm, pay attention, and react with love. That's the response in Swamp to me. In um, in Slippery People, the re- response to Swamp. I really like that. And I kind of feel bad the fact that I'm about to make a turn here. And stepping outside of the meaning aspect, I do think this is the first song where I got annoyed. Oh, you got annoyed. Because like a lot of songs that get a little more out there in terms of its thing... I felt like this song was a third too long. It's got such a long tail on it that by the end of listening to it, I was not as happy with it as I was at the start of it. That, in a weird way, I kept on mm-hmm. replaying the beginning and then skipping after it after it finished the like second or third round of chorus because there just wasn't a lot after that. And so I, I like after saying how this has such very interesting meaning things, I feel bad, you know, snapping at it for like chill. But at the same time, it's where I'm at. Yeah, that's that's a fair comment, and I I know these versions of these songs so much better than I know the studio versions. But I do believe that for a number of the songs on this album, this live version is a good bit longer than the original studio cut because they're they're letting that audience-fueled energy of the concert venue build and keeping those unresolved uh, parts of the music extended longer and longer. And that's kind of cool, 
it's a little more immersive, but listening to it repeatedly while not immersing yourself into it, I can see it's like, can we get on to the next song, please? So that's a fair comment. Yeah, it definitely does have a, a tone that it sets very well. And I, I like your call and response aspect. It, I, I took it so much more specific about like reviewing an individual. Like it was reviewing if this person is okay directly instead of this generalized version. Okay. It was yeah. more, I, I almost felt it more like two entities, one being the group of voices, one being the singer checking about this one character in that sense. But I get how it can also be this more generalized thing as you're describing. You know what your description of that reminds me of? It reminds me of the movie It's a Wonderful Life. And the little conversation we see in the stars between the angel Clarence and St. Peter, I think it was St. Peter, about George Bailey. Yeah. And what they, is he going to be okay and what, they, what can they do for him and about him? There's there's something about it that has that kind of you know spiritual like diagnostic or like <laughs> like a pair of mechanics reviewing an engine, but it's a person's soul kind of feeling to it, and that can be that that larger picture. But there's something about the he's all right, the focus on the he, and sometimes the emphasis there. I'm like, is this about a character? Is this about like? a guy who came in contact with the people from the other two things? What's going on here? Like, we've got kind of a figure. I like that. Oh, and the Mondegreen for this song was the line, the Lord won't mind, or the Lord don't mind. That always sounded like they were saying a local man to me. Which is probably why it seemed more Buddhist, because I didn't initially get that reference to a god figure. I can can hear that. So the next one that comes up, track four on side one, is Burning Down the House. And this is a song that the studio version got a lot of airplay, a lot of a lot of MTV play for the music video. So it was, um, they had to include this on the album. It was such a popular Talking Heads song. You got rock song in my concept album. You got concept album in my rock song. <laughs> my goodness, this thing is, goes hard, way faster than I was ready for, but it's cool. Now, to me, this is the absurdest reaction oh, to yeah. Swamp. Oh, if we're following that trend of this, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it starts out with some, some supremely worthwhile advice. Watch out, you might get what you're after. Mm-hmm. But so much of it is, this is what I was thinking of before as the ultimate word salad song from Talking Heads. <sighs> oh, yeah. This is, this is the chaos of the world, in some ways. This is like... In a world, if the other two things are like the dangers in it and the review of a guy, this is the thing he's walking through is burning down the house. It's like the world is just exploding around you. It's going to be chaotic. It's going to be harsh. And you're kind of hearing all of these things that don't quite sound connected, but they've all got this this energy to them. Yes. The world is chaos and potential anguish. Why would I think I could respond with anything other than chaos and potential anguish. And even through that, there's some ability to recognize beauty. Some oh, things yeah. still sweep him off his feet. Oh yeah, it, there, there's, there, despite being an energetic song, there's a chill about this. It does have some really lovely guitar in it. Yes. This get, and musically, this gets excellent because it is 
the first few songs didn't have a lot of instrumentation. They have mm, the focus wasn't on the it. The focus yeah. wasn't on it. It was more about the rhythmic and the vocal aspect. This one has some instrumentation portions that got me. Where I'm like, this is just this is this is a band in that sense, and I got excited there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are times when Talking Heads seems to be an an art project that produces music. And here you realize, you know, they are musicians and they're a band and they can get stuff done. And then we've got the final track on side one. Girlfriend is better. (laughs) (laughs) Not the song I expected the title drop in. Oh, really? No. (laughs) Stop making sense. It says it in this one, but this one's interesting. It's this guy, this, this main character singing it. If if it's the same guy from the other ones, we're not sure. But if whoever this this central figure is as the vocal in this, yeah, I tend to think of them as different character narr- narrators in yeah. each song. But I don't know. Probably, but it's the it's the I'm happy with my life. Where'd all my money go? She does her own thing. It's like there's this like level of severe denial of what's going on, and paints this very clear picture of something happening to him that is he's just not watching for. Also, this needs to be used by more anime music video producers because it fits <laughs> so well for things. And I'm amazed I have I I'm amazed I hadn't run into this in that context before somehow. Uh-huh. Because it's got that it, this is another instance of that peppy energy and a little bit of that absolute absurdism thrown in especially as it devolves towards the end. Now to me this seems like the most 80s response to swamp in that it is its response is a path of acquisition and sensualism and disconnection it's the sex drugs and rock and roll kind of response oh i don't i didn't okay i want things i want my fast car i want to be on stage i want my girlfriend she's got to have bows in her hair what can be better than this I haven't spoken about the value, really, of any of these things, and just the fact that they're distracting me from the void of the world. I would have never taken it that way, because the singer seems so uncertain and confused enough of the times that I didn't think they were really as actively participant as much as haplessly having this occur to them. Now, I think that by the end of the song, they're realizing this will only take you so far. There's a point at which you realize how empty these things are. There's a point as you get older and stop making sense. It's these things you thought were the answer stopping that stop making sense. Okay. Hmm. It was. It's like spinning on this 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 high speed wheel to escape, and you're not going anywhere. And eventually, you realize that. Hmm. Again, a really catchy song. <laughs> really catchy song. <laughs> This this is kind of musically somewhere in between Burning Down the House and Slippery People. It's got some of that it doesn't have the the choir aspect, but it's got some of the repetition aspect from S- Slippery People and it's got some that of that more prevalent instrumentation that I was talking about in Burning Down the House I'd say. Yeah, the other two songs had a certain aspect of ritual about them. And this is a little bit more of a straightforward pop song in a strange Talking Heads lens. Yeah. But it combined, you can tell it's the same people, though, because they're, they're combining 
elements of what they're so good at. It's the fact that the vocals, especially when it's fluctuating up, I've got a girlfriend, is being emphasized by the instruments in the background following along instead of just keeping a bass line underneath. They are swelling and rising or pitching with him. And that changes it because it means their emphasis instead of canvas. Yeah, yeah, I like that. You're right. They are, they're affecting the momentum of the song by doing that. There are places in which the song, it seems faster than it really is when you stop and, and really listen to it. Oh, yeah. There, because it gives you that false sense of momentum. There were parts of I've Got a Girlfriend that reminded me of R.E.M.'s End of the World as We Know It in that sense. Because when you look at the, the lyrics, if you listen to a chunk of it on its own, its pace seems very different than the pace of the song as a whole. Yeah, another song that feels faster than it really is. Yeah. If you try to sing it, you'll realize that uh, End of the World as We Know It isn't as fast as you think. It's a right. tongue twister, but it's not as fast as it sounds. Same here. The sentences have plenty of articulation and spacing, but there's enough emphasis behind them, enough driving force, and enough of the, the music is following along in how you're supposed to emphasize things that it builds speed in your head that isn't there otherwise. Yeah, and the instrumentals kind of keep pushing the lines into one another like dominoes. Keeps it moving, so therefore you figure this must be picking up speed. Exactly. I, I don't, I'm surprised this is live, honestly, for this recording, because I would have expected something that snappy to require booth cut edits to keep it going. Well, they did a lot of, they used a digital sound system, which was unusual. That might explain how this had that, that snappiness then, because usually live performances either are slower or faster than the studio version because it's either faster so that you're not up there singing this for as long or it's slower to add more chances for you to get a breath for you to pace yourself through a song so when you're when you're dealing with that i would have expected it to land on either side but this felt like it was in the middle and that makes sense because if they're doing it digitally on stage they can kind of hide those a little bit more. They can hide any changes in pace they're doing to make it live performable. Same way a magician might have an extra coat sewn into a pocket. They can slip in sections where you'll get your breath more cleverly than if they're trying to play everything actively. Mm -hmm. And that's the song that wraps up side one. Oh, yeah. And this is where they stop doing the repetition things and where I feel like the entire album goes I, I want to say it goes darker, but that's just because the other two songs are much darker, and then two of them are really dark, I feel. Well, one thing that was really important about crafting an LP, especially, where you had two distinct sides, was making the, each side work as its own thing. So even though I consider both sides part of this overarching idea in my mind, there's definitely that difference in tone between side one and side two of this LP. And the first track on side two is Once in a Lifetime, another uh, extremely popular, quite possibly the best known Talking Heads song. And that kicks off side two. 
And this is the one that you knew going in. This is the one I knew going in. And that's why I was really surprised when the live performance is way jazzier. (laughs) It is, isn't it? Yeah. The album one, which I know and like so much, is uh, the, the, the studio version is so... I want to call it thumping, but that feels wrong. It's got this heavy pacing to it. And this one is just looser, but you can hear all the words better. And it feels like that stream of consciousness talking that it kind of is trying to emulate is way clearer in this. Very much. It's a little bit disorienting to me now when I hear the studio version, because I'm so used to this one that dwells upon its its content so much. Oh, yeah. And this is just kind of like... I can't tell if this one is talking about like the positives of being content with your life or it's talking about the dangers of becoming complacent because it feels like it could be saying either message. It's about being surprised of your how your life has gone and then just like time isn't after us. I'm enjoying why where I'm here. But it keeps saying that <laughs> and it's in that like you're going to keep saying this until you believe it, but you're not getting yourself convinced yet kind of feeling. This is one where the progression of the song from the beginning to end, coming back to this now, it almost feels as if the song follows the progression in my, of my response to the song, comparing the, my, my response in my late teens to my response now in my 50s. And, and early on, it really does seem much more easier to, to say that this is basically a carpe diem message. Pay attention. Don't just get swept up by the, the course of time. You'll end up in a life that you didn't expect and didn't plan and didn't want. And that all that negative sense of, you know, here's what's going to happen if you're not really, really super vigilant and careful. And that sounds like a terrified way to go through life. And yet, it's not a message that isn't without. The, it's not a message that's entirely without value. And yet, by the end of the song, it seems like it's accepting and recognizing the inevitability of time passing. And every day we spend, we spend it, and it, it, it's here and it goes away no matter what we do with it. And the title means so much to me. Once in a lifetime, every single instant of time is a once in a lifetime event. Whoa. So, yes, pay attention to and cherish each one of those times, but don't get so worried about what's going to happen years from now that you forget about what's happening right now. Don't, 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 don't make your concern about carpe diem prevent you from enjoying and seizing this day. Oh, yeah. There's one line, actually, that, ma- that re-cemented the, the optimistic side of this instead of the pessimistic when I was listening to it, and it's really silly. What's that? In the repetition at the very end, he breaks form and yell instead of yelling like instead of saying time isn't after us, he says time is a pony ride <laughs> at the very end. And it sounds so silly, but there's something about okay, one thing if you ever meet me and you need to figure out how to like short circuit my sense of humor, it's repeat something and then recontextualize it one time. <laughs> like do this thing, this thing. This is the thing you do. I will crack. It's the thing that short circuits my sense of humor. And this did that to me. I, I cracked up when I was listening to it on the... On time isn't holding us. Time isn't after us. Time is a pony, pony ride. ride. And I'm like, dang it. Wait, okay. what? Like, you got me. But also, it's like, 
that's way happy yes. about time going. And I'm like, okay, yeah. this is optimistic at the end. I can get behind it. And I re-listened to it. Like, I literally replayed that song immediately. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is this is chipper. I can go for this. Now, I could get way too deep into that. It's like, you know, this this pony is going, whether you're on it or not. Just like time, but uh, well, I'm sure it's just the weird absurdity if of If you look at every repetition as like a day or a thing happening, it's like life, 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 vacation trip, life, life, life. It's like, <laughs> I, I went to Disney. It's part of my life. It was fun. And then you go back to things and it's like, that was his thing. But I just, I, it seems so silly that that's the line that cracked me, but it did. And I, I can love see it. Where, it, where, where it would. I have to mention some of the lines that that seemed so important to me when I first heard this album still seemed pretty important to me, but, um, of course, water is the, rec the recurring theme through this. In addition to time, it's water, but the water hold you down. There is water at the bottom of the ocean. Under the water, powering the water. I just love that idea. The, the bottom of what's at the bottom of the ocean. Well, water, but that's it. We are so close to, and, and we're literally in contact with, the biggest, most powerful, and deepest things that there are if we just recognize it. That's an idea, I mean, that, I, I did not have any kind of a meditation practice when I, listen, maybe this was my meditation practice, listening to this album. Um, but now that I do, that idea of water, and there's water at the bottom of the ocean, and the depth that that implies uh, means more to me than it did those decades ago. I love those lines. It is definitely the things that get me are completely different. It's things like, where does that highway go to? <laughs> it's like all these like little like observations about my world and thinking about that, thinking, how did I get here? And then it's like, I can be aware of my surroundings. And that leads to more intrigue and more mystery and more questions. And that's things to explore and to do. And I liked that part because the only response to where does that highway go to is go find out. It kind of implies the there's an adventure here. Do you want this one? You have the option. And I like um, that. Oh, I feel bad about what I was about to mention now. That you've, you've had such a one happy spin on that. Where does that highway go to? Oh, I know, I know one of the interpretations of what the highway is. There's another extremely popular or extremely well-known Talking Heads song that I sometimes think of, as, and it's not on this LP. It's not on this album. Okay. And I sometimes think of it as like a, a side story from Once in a Lifetime. And the name of the song is Road to Nowhere. Oh, boy. When I hear in uh, Once in a Lifetime that line, you know, wh where does that highway go to? There's a little bit of my mind that starts thinking about the song Road to Nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, a road doesn't have to go somewhere to be worth traveling. Exactly. Um, and I, I think that might be one of the points of, of the song Road to Nowhere. But yeah, they're, they're connected in my mind because of that highway and road image. So after... Once in a lifetime, we get to What a Day That Was. Another crisp, catchy song. Crisp, catchy song. This one reminded me the most of the things we'd heard on Point of No Return. There was something about What a Day That Was that reminded me of Closet Chronicles. 
Okay, I can get that. This kind of like devastation of a kingdom feeling. <laughs> but while one of those is very like somber about things having de- decayed, this one's just like, well, what do you do when you've done everything? Literally, it asks that question. There's this like, okay, once this is all over, what do you do next? There's a part of a video game I played recently. Character said like, okay, your first answer was the one you thought people wanted to hear. Your second was the one you thought. And this is like the entirety of the world posed in that styling. It's like, okay, the f- you've done everything you could think of on the world. What do you do with day two? That's actually who you are in that sense. <laughs> now, I I tend to think of this as... This is responding to the dangerous and difficult fallen world described by the character in Swamp. This is responding to that by giving in to authority, by finding something or someone to follow, and abdicating your own decision-making to somebody else. As long as you're following him and you're not speaking up or, or, or sitting back or not paying attention, as long as you're following the leader, I must be okay. And and that's a point of view I tend to have uh, have trouble with, but that's always how that seemed like it's. I'm going to respond to this world by finding something to follow or someone to follow, and that's fine, unless and until I become the leader, and then that's when I realize how empty it is. Huh. I guess I can, that you know it seems everything seems great, and then we get another day, and it's all the same, and there's really no place we're going. I hadn't taken it that way. There was something so much more parable-y about it with a specific character in some ways. Like he he did everything he wanted, and then had to figure, and then he just spent the second day real like looking around at what was re- left, kind of. I guess it kind of fits with what you're describing, but it didn't quite land the same for me. I guess it 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 depends on who you're thinking of as the point of view character. Yeah, and I I can see both of these interpretations working really well. The fact that every single time it describes what was happening, how hard it falls gets worse. It's like each time this happens, it goes from like, and then we let it fall and we let it burn. And it's like this, <laughs> like the level of devastation keeps rising each time it repeats. Yeah. And that's, that's really scary. But it also had this like, is this the same story or is this different people coming one after another? And that's how it strikes me as, you know, what's the, the ultimate refuge of authoritarianism is you got to find the right people to be your enemy. Where you've got to find someone to be your enemy, hmm. and the destruction that follows. So, for for what sounds like a chipper song, I like that the least because it creeps me out. Yeah, this this one this one had the creep out that you expected Psycho Killer to have. It's not <laughs> over there. It's waiting for you down in oh, this one. Deep. And be prepared for that if you're listening and you haven't heard this before, because this this one and the one that follows are kind of a one two punch. I feel. Yes. Like, get creeped out and now get sad. Yeah, the one that follows is the one that for a long time I think was my favorite song from this album. And that is Life During Wartime. <sighs> now every 
every cyberpunk short story or game scenario that I've ever written for my own or others' amusement had some inspiration from this song. I can understand that. It's like, it's like the lone gunman turned dark. Yeah, very much. Th- this is... This one's just intense because it, as it goes, like, the level of desperation gets higher, and the level of paranoia kind of in the vocals gets worse. Now, this seems to me to be responding to a difficult world by deciding that this is a landscape of war, and we're at war. And if we're at war, I have the privilege of not having to think about certain aspects of life. I can't think about that now. It's wartime. We've got a war to fight. We'll deal with that later. Right now, we can focus on the war. It's like addiction or you can occult or something. It, it restricts what you have to think about. It lets you get away with thinking about less. Absolutely. Although our main singer doesn't seem, I don't, didn't feel like they took a side. I felt like they were trapped amongst because it's, they're trying to get out and like find rescue, but it didn't sound like they were against any one group in that sense. They were kind of caught. I've always, it sounded more like they were caught in the middle in the way it sounded to me. Starting out with a van loaded with weapons. Seems like I'm going to hole up and defend myself because the world's getting dangerous in that sense. Okay, like, so they're not- like I'm. I'm not. I'm not here supplying a side in the fight. I'm. I'm bunkering down in oh. terror of the of the war going on around me. In that sense, that's interesting. I I always thought it of, of it as you know we're we're in this war. We're on one side of it. We're on the side that it's not necessarily going well for, but we're okay. not giving up. And we've got our weapons. We've got our technology. We've got our our decisions to make. We've got the best pronunciation of peanut butter ever. <laughs> Some peanut butter. He, he, there's so much emphasis in the syllables there. I love it. Yes. <laughs> the fact that in the middle of the song on the album, he d- laments the fact that he has no music to play. Yes, is also I like, like <laughs> but, Okay, how am I hearing this then? What? Uh, no speakers, no headphones, no records to play. Yeah. And that that's definitely like, I don't even have time to think about music right now because things are going on. It's like, but you're saying that in a song. Right. The artifice of this whole thing. It kind of, it's this tapping on the fourth wall of whatever this narrative is in a very positive way. And it's very explicitly rejecting romance as something we, uh, I, I don't have time for now. It's something I can't be paying attention to now. So that could be the Really, what this is the metaphor for is someone who doesn't. It's workaholism. Who, yeah, who doesn't want to deal with that? Do you have workaholism or somebody who lacks the understanding or confidence to pursue any human relationships, and therefore they find excuses not to by finding something that well, this must be more important. This is kind of a, a, a an opposite response to have a I have a girlfriend in that sense. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Very diametrically opposed. One is dive headfirst into that hard. The other one is I don't have time for that. Yeah, right. Instead of let's let's acquire and enjoy as much as we can to distract ourselves, it's let's pare life down to you know, weapons and groceries and peanut butter. We don't even have music, let alone romance. I did, I really felt side B was like a song you know, and then two songs of pain. <laughs> I'm like okay. Which makes the way that the album wraps up that much more interesting. Yeah, almost like a, it's almost a, a callback, at least using the tone, to Slippery People, 
because they're pulling that gospel in so hard. But this one is absolutely slamming the the, the gospel slider to the top level. Well, this is the one song not written by Talking Heads. This is not an original oh. Talking Heads song. This was written back in the early 70s by Al Green and Teeny Hodges. Oh, okay. And Talking Heads are one of the two most well-known recordings of it. And they really do kind of make it their own, as you can tell here. Oh, yeah. But I think they... they my expectation is that they... Or my suspicion is that they grabbed onto this song because it worked so well with the style they were building for this tour that, and, and it does really work well with that, with the, the call and response and the gospel, uh, backup. Mm-hmm. I, I really like their version of it. And if you do want to put it in context with the rest of the album, it is about redemption and a return to innocence and the baptismal imagery. Yeah. It, it, it I mean, it, it is, it is forceful with that image imagery. It is. And it is, it has that repetitive element I was describing in all these other songs. Mm-hmm. I mean, all songs have that repetitive chorus, but there's something about a chorus that will stutter repeat itself within itself just to hammer it home more. They're pushing that. But I really wasn't sure how to feel with it alongside everything else. It's like all of this, like harsh takes on the world, all of this. If this is one character, he's gone through some stuff and this is either brace yourself to jump in because you'll have to deal with all of this in one in some way or it's a reset button and i couldn't tell which one it was <laughs> that's interesting I'm, I'm really interested in the idea of taking this as a the journey of a single character because that never occurred to me it always seemed to me like little vignettes of different people's responses uh I- and i there's a lot to that. I've got to think about that some more. And this is even even better ending because it's showing that no matter which one of these paths you tried, even if you tried all of them, none of them is final. None of them is going to define who you are. You always have the ability to find redemption. You can you can make connections. You can find love. You can give and receive forgiveness no matter where you've gone. Exactly. It, it, with all of the songs having the same lead singer and that same vocal quality, it's like seeing all the parallels of potential of this one character and then like okay here's a point where you figure where he figures out where it is and we won't do that yeah i guess so yeah the one song with the most dramatically different vocal quality is swamp itself yeah and that is an outlier in terms of either approach to the storyline that we're coming up with Mm -hmm. that's a weird idea could it be the character from Psycho Killer dying and having to choose a, a different way to live a, the next a next round? Oh, interesting. Like, okay, you died, you messed up. Devil's here saying, okay, we're resetting you. Here's all the different things you could do. And then it ends with this <laughs> baptismal rebirth of pick one, and I, we don't see which one he picks. I, I really like that. That's very I, operatic. I think I just spoiled the entirety of the Bioshock mythos, (laughs) but I'm okay with this, and I don't know how I feel that I'm okay with this. That's great. I like it. (laughs) So that is a heck of an album. That is a heck of an album. It didn't grab me as much as Point of No Return, but I genuinely liked parts of each of these things. Mm -hmm. It just didn't grab me as a whole in the same way. 
Yeah, it wasn't the 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 grand saga that Point of No Return is. But I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you liked parts of it, at least. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm glad that I came back to it. I, I, I It's probably been a, a year or maybe two since I listened to this. And I really listened to it a lot this week and thought about it more than I have in a long time. And that was fun. This is definitely also an album where instead of being something that pulls you into an environment it sets up, it is in it. We were talking about how much commentary it is on things. It is an environment dependent song. Sitting down and listening to it in a ha- it at home is very different than putting on a headphone and listening to it while you're out, like doing grocery shopping. And that's very different than if you're a person who can listen to it in the middle of work. Those all had very different feelings to me because the mental tone you walk into this album with is going to get bounced around and amplified and twisted by this album. And it'll come out the other side differently. But it's not like what you bring into it's going to change what you pull out of it in that sense. So go in if you're going to try to review it, go in with different mindsets a couple of times because you'll see different outputs each time. That is uh, is interesting. Back when this came out, it, it was kind of just the early days of the Walkman. So it was possible to take your music with you and go out into the world with it. And I did that somewhat, and there are some albums where that's part of the experience I remember. I never did that with this album back then. This was always in my room, maybe with headphones or through the speakers on my stereo, usually with the lights dim or my eyes closed, just diving into this. And you're right, being able to have it connect with the world in a different way really changes it. So I... We're leading into our final questions, and I don't remember I our think phrasing so. for... Well, I think our first question for uh, for a record, for an album, is spin or no spin? <sighs> spin carefully. Oh, spin carefully. What does that mean? That same kind of feel change based on what you're coming into it with. I think you gotta make sure you're in the right mode, too. Yeah. And I don't think it'll be everyone's thing. I I... I enjoyed this, but I'm also probably not going to listen to it as a sequence the way I have been this last week. I might go back to songs individually. I might actually seriously do that thing of chopping up Swamp for making a goblin soundboard for <laughs> d and I like that. That was effective. But it's... It might not have the staying power with me that you're describing. It'll be a thing I come back to every once in a while for reference, but it's... N- it's a thing that I have to be ready for, and I'm saying that for other people, just in case. If you're not feeling stable, maybe don't. I would, uh, I would agree. I would say spin, but I would recommend listening to this album in a way that lets you really listen to it and focus on it as a cohesive work of art and not put it on as background music, not try to do other things while you're listening to it. You know, put this on... Pay attention to it, listen to it all the way through, and then, you know, decide if you want to listen to it some more or what context you want to use in the future. But I think it's worth exploring in that that way and diving into. This can make a slow day more introspective and can make a frustrating day heavier. 
Now, our usual media question uh, uh, follow-up is revive, reboot, or rest in peace. And I'm not sure what we would do with an album. I don't re- even remember what we did with Point of No Return for that. What, but just in general, then, what would you like as a, a next step for this? Is there something else you would like to see made to keep the legacy of this going on? Well, I know that there is more because there's this entire extended album and I know that there's this video production portion. So it's hard to say that completely without having seen that or being able to reference that in some ways. That's fair enough. That's fair. I I can understand that. Weirdly enough, all of the songs, I was finding other versions because they've done remastered versions, most of them in 2005, it seems. And they've got all their studio versions of these, which are very different. And so I could kind of see, like, I want to see what other stuff they did. And that remastered element is interesting to me. Tonally, as a whole, this is where I'm going to swerve severely. This this album as a whole reminded me of PlayStation 2. Specifically... This album as a whole reminded me of the game Guitaru Man. Okay. I love Guitaru Man. It it had the mix of musical references and styles and tones that kept making me think of that. (laughs) And so I'm kind of saying, like, I want to play these in a rhythm game. I want to see what Talking Heads is like in other media contexts. (laughs) Because this was weird enough to catch my interest. I'm also going to have to play more Guitar Man at that point. But there's something about it stylistically. I'm like, this is elsewhere. And I'm intrigued there. Yeah, I would be interested in seeing more more done in that in that regard. Pulling this into other media. Your Some of your final comments on the whole narrative idea really have me interested in the idea of an opera. A cosmic opera based upon this. And, and about the cycle of, of life and death and rebirth. There's more songs in this also that I expected to be pulled into, like, I'm surprised I haven't run into these in movies or TV or something, because they seem so fun, so poignant and such. I would really expect one of these to be used during a film to add weight to a character scene, because they're so effective on their own as to bringing that energy that they could be used to double down on anything that a show is trying to set up already. Kind of the way Guardians of the Galaxy used certain songs to emphasize their tone. I could see this being used to emphasize a tone the way they did things in that. Uh, I think that would work very well, and that would be interesting. I do think that David Byrne and other members of Talking Heads would be very selective about how they wanted the music to be used. And David Byrne, he studied visual art, and he's directed and written uh, at least one feature film and some uh, experimental television episodes. So he's really, um, he's one of those artists that is best known for one kind of media, but is is interested in and has worked in many others, or at least some others. So I could see that happening at some point, but they'd be very selective about it. Okay. I definitely should just look up up more about this band overall because it sounds like there's interesting stuff in here that that i might like but it just hasn't clicked in the same way they really are one of those those really iconic early 80s bands 
got their first uh, dose of fame at uh, CBGB's in New York and really were a prominent part of bringing a whole new music aesthetic into the mainstream. Hmm. But I think that's going to be it for uh, for this episode. We'll be back in in a couple of weeks with another episode of the IWMP podcast. I wonder what that's going to be about. I Did want... we mention there's a movie related to this I, album? I got the feeling that was going to be what's <laughs> happening. So this is not the last we've heard of these heads. So, Dad, in the meantime, where can they find you online? Oh, you can find me. Uh, most places you can find me under the name By Matthew Porter. So you can go to bymatthewporter.com. You can find me on Twitter at by Matthew Porter. Uh, by Matthew Porter on Twitch. Haven't done anything there in a while, but I'm planning some things there as well. Uh, and uh, if new things come up, I'll probably try to grab that name there as well. And Ian, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter as Item Crafting, and on Twitch as Item Crafting Live. On YouTube as Item Crafting. Haven't done a lot with that myself either, but. Similarly, there's things I have got in the works that I hope to put up there at some point soon. I am looking forward to that. And you can find the podcast uh, at the website, immproject.com. And that's where you can find links to uh, all of our past episodes. You can also find a link there to our Patreon, which has a whole bunch of uh, uh, bonus content. And that's growing every month. If you're able to support us there, that's terrific. Really appreciate it. If you can't support us there, that's cool, too. Uh, Thank you for downloading. Thank you for leaving reviews, if you can, on the uh, iTunes rating system, and uh, just letting your friends know about the podcast if you like it. That's uh, the best way for us to keep going and to uh, grow. You can also find us on Discord. You'll find a link to that on our website. You'll find a link to our store if you like t-shirts and coffee mugs and things. And finally, of course, you can find us on Twitter, and on Twitter we are IMMPcast. So thanks very much for, for downloading this episode. Thanks very much for listening. We hope you'll come back in a couple of weeks. And in the meantime, go find something new to listen to.